Hello and welcome to episode 173 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. It's been a while since we last recorded, but we're finally back here. We had some uh, hiccups throughout the weekend as we tried to record, but we're back. We have next to nothing to talk about, but here we are. How are you guys? Good. Uh, we record this or this podcast on Zoom, and of course, people on YouTube are able to watch us. So, in honor of the MLB players losing their pictures on the website, I will be taking off my camera for the first five minutes of this episode because, of course, I feel for the players here who do not have a face on MLB.com anymore. I'm doing good though. So that was your plan. <laughs> for context, before we recorded this podcast, Bryson shut off his camera and wouldn't tell us what he was doing. So that's yes. your plan. <laughs> okay. I made a stand. I understand that if you're disappointed with the outcome of that, but uh, this is something that I wanted to get off my chest. It's it's less dramatic than I thought it would be, but okay, a little bit underwhelming. Jacob, how are you? Well, for the people that can see me on YouTube, they know that I've had the case of the giggles anticipating what uh, Bryson was going to do, but other than that, I am as entertained as a baseball fan can be in the midst of a lockout. There are some other Toronto teams that are good right now, but I'm going to be honest, I I want that other team, that other team that just signed some guys, and I'm hoping for Major League Baseball to figure their stuff out because, completely honest with you, the highs of the last couple weeks prior to the lockout have... Uh, I've really been missing those, I think, is, is fair to say, and I'm really hoping that things can change. Yeah, I know everyone, like, before the lockout started was saying, well, we need some sort of artificial deadline every year, so we get this signing frenzy every year. And I think we're seeing the other side of that now, where we are bored out of our minds in terms of baseball. Like, I got to be honest. Oh, there we go. For everyone listening to the podcast, we got Bryson back. I got to be honest, like as much as November was fun, as much as that final week of November was fun, it is so boring right now. Mind-numbingly boring on a baseball side of things. However, we do have some things happening. We have some rumors trickling out about what went down in the final few days before the lockout started. We have our own thoughts about the lockout that we haven't had the chance to talk about yet. So we're going to get all that out of the way today, and we're going to discuss it and hope we get something to talk about by the time next weekend rolls around. But we'll start things off with what I think was the biggest rumor that we got this weekend or this past week. It was the fact that the Blue Jays were very much in on Corey Seager, who we know he ended up signing a 10-year, $325 million deal with the Texas Rangers. Before he signed that deal on the final days before the lockout, turns out the Blue Jays were heavily involved in his market. This is from Jeff Passan, so we know it actually is true, as opposed to someone like John Morosi, who we can be a little bit uh, questionable about his reports. But Jeff Passan reporting this, um, we talked about Corey Seager as someone who makes a lot of sense for the Blue Jays. He is someone who is almost a perfect fit being on the infield, being a left-handed batter, having you know, a huge impact bat. He would probably be end up batting fourth or fifth in the Blue Jays lineup. Someone like that was a perfect fit for the Blue Jays. It just came down to the fact that the price tag did not work out for the Blue Jays and the Texas Rangers, as we saw with Marcus Simeon, as we saw with uh, Corey Seager, as we saw with a couple other guys, the Texas Rangers were willing to pay that extra money and go that extra way to get someone like Corey Seager. But I find it interesting that the Blue Jays were involved in that market in the first place. So I guess starting things off, we can get your guys' thoughts. Do you think the Blue Jays should have made a sizable offer to Corey Seager, or are you glad that they backed out before the 
10 years, $325 million deal was reached. I'll be honest, I would rather sit out on Corey Seager, to be completely honest. Now, 10 years is a lot of money. Like, let's let's not forget, or a lot of term. He's getting paid a lot of money, and who knows? Maybe this is going to work out for him. It easily could. I think there's a lot of Blue Jays that could get this type of contract, but I don't think that a, a shortstop is probably your best position right now. And we talk about, and we're going to talk about guys at positions that the Blue Jays still have or, or have needs for, and they're looking to potentially add and then relocate certain guys. I don't think that's what you need to do right now. And the fact to me that Bo Bichette did not switch to second base at all this season, other than, I don't know, maybe a couple appearances or whatever, proves to me that they want to keep him at short. And Corey Seager went to shortstop. Now, I do think it's a little ironic that Marcus Simeon wanted to play shortstop, and now he's not going to do it. We're not talking about Simeon. He can enjoy his time with uh, the Rangers. But if you're a Blue Jay, if you're the Blue Jays front office and everything, this is not the move that I think you're willing to make. And don't get me wrong. Corey Seager is a good player. World Series experience, whether he's he won it or had a championship taken away from him via a different team. But the point is, is he's a guy that could really help a team, especially when they're looking to add veteran pieces. But... I don't think that that's really the right move to make. You know, I think you you need pitching, which they are starting to get, and they did get. You need relief help, but that's kind of a thing every year. I don't think that the infield, primarily shortstop, is where you uh, should be looking to add. But more importantly, I don't think that you can throw away all this money before all of your guys on rookie deals start to expire. Because Gurriel, as we've mentioned in the past couple weeks, he's set to enter arbitration soon. Guerrero, you know, name pretty much everybody on the roster that hasn't been signed in the last couple seasons. Guerrero, uh, you know, Manoa, Pearson, Bichette, Biggio, all these guys are going to start commanding a lot of money. And if you're going to spend a ton of money, say $300 plus million over 10 years, it's going to make it a lot harder. And I know there is technically no salary cap right now, so you, in theory, could have a, a billion dollar payroll, but that's not realistic. And eventually the payroll will come back down to earth and even if the blue jays do have a high payroll say it's 400 million dollars one of the higher in the league that still does limit you and i don't think that it, signing Corey seager now would be the right decision it might still help the team but down the line when you have guys that you need to sign that you're anticipating signing you gotta kind of have to plan for that and yeah you make your acquisitions you extend Barrios, sign gosman you do these types of things but you don't go out and, and break the bank in free agency knowing that you do kind of inevitably have to face that that problem with guys that are currently on the team. So I wish all the best to Corey Seager. I hope the Blue Jays are not done in free agency, but I personally, I don't see that big of a contract going to really anybody on this team or in free agency if you're the Blue Jays. And if it is going to happen... It's not going to be a middle infielder, considering you do have a middle infielder that, in all honesty, could get a similar contract or, you know, around that. But I don't have any problem with that. It it does, I guess, feel a little bit unfortunate to miss out on these deals, but it's, at the end of the day, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think Bo Bichette has a very high ceiling, and it doesn't make sense to go and replace somebody like that for that type of money. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And um, usually when we hear about you know, the Blue Jays being finalists in certain players. We don't really think much of it, but the fact that it came from Jeff Passan, of course, hearing that the Jays were 
most likely one of the like finalists like no joke as literally as it can be they were probably maybe two or three uh in terms of being a finalist for a Corey Seager that's uh definitely interesting and the message I get too from it is just the idea from the front office proving again that they are trying to do everything they can to win and it really shows how serious they are when they say that and of course they were unable to match or not unable to but unwilling to match their um, their offer that the Rangers gave him which was 10 years and 325 million dollars I personally am fine with it I mean I don't see a reason to break the bank on Corey Seager just because of I guess some of the reasons why or what Jacob explained as well because I I agree with a lot of what he said but you know to do that you it just it feels like you put yourself in a you know you know a little bit of a log jam in terms of all the contracts that you're giving out I know you gave out or they gave out an offer or um, a lot of money to Kevin Gosman last week or a couple weeks ago sorry and now you're going to do that and give even more money up for Corey Seager when you haven't paid somebody like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. yet Bo Bichette Teoscar Hernandez is up to for uh, in a couple years Loris Gurriel's up in a couple years so it just feels like a lot of money to give right now and um, you know I would definitely have given Corey Seager a lot of money but anything over that mark or anything near that mark uh, around 300 and 320 million. It just, for me, it didn't really make sense. And there's a lot of options. It's not like Corey Seager is the last name remaining. I mean, I do, I still wonder about Trevor story. I know I've mentioned it a couple times. I don't know how you guys feel about that as much as somebody or as much as me, but I just feel like there's a chance that they could definitely maybe pivot towards him um, after the lockout. And there's so many other names that we've gone over previously. So I'm glad that they didn't kind of go, overboard or you know act as desperately by matching Corey Seager's offer here it just it, it's a lot it really is and I understand that Corey Seager is uh, skilled and he is definitely one of the guys that the Jays highlighted uh, once the offseason started and the fact that they were that mystery team who were a lot more serious than all of us thought it proves it and of course a great year for him a war according to baseball reference of just under four and uh, batting over 300 and uh, he was just he was really good this year uh, for the LA Dodgers that's a massive loss and uh, on a side note and a kind of a funny note or an ironic note I should say is I believe according or based off the press conference that Marcus Simeon had with the Rangers it didn't seem like he was aware of Corey Seager coming over when he first signed because he mentioned that he was expecting to play shortstop and um, he didn't seem I mean Marcus Simeon's obviously a kind of a, a calm guy and he doesn't get overly excited when talking to the media but he just didn't seem as thrilled that he's gonna have to play second base again but at the end of the day the contract that he got I think he'll be able to uh deal with it for the next seven years and for Corey Seager to get 325 million I thought a lot of people were also surprised by that when the the signing first came out that it was that much but for the Jays taking a run at Corey Seager it just shows that they're going to be a lot they're going to once this lockout ends they're going to continue to be busy and there's a lot of other names out there that they're going to be pivoting to and I think that proves that because there are a ton of names who didn't sign and most notably I'm not saying the Jays but I'm saying just in general you know Carlos Correa is unsigned still uh Trevor Story like I mentioned is unsigned still and there's so many other guys uh, that the Jays can pivot down to maybe someone like Kyle Seager that we've talked about, but that could also be kind of a late signing towards spring training if they ever went that route. So the fact that they were the mystery team though, um, it, it just gives me a good reassurance as much as they just spent money on Kevin Gosman that they are still willing to do this. And I do wonder how much of this um, happened after Gosman was signed of how, J how interesting or how interested the Jays were still in someone like Corey Seager after they signed Kevin Gosman. So it's good to see that they went down to the wire with this one and they were involved with the entire process. And now once again, the slot code ends, it's going to be right back to business for them and we can still expect them to be busy uh, once the uh, lockout ends at some point in the near future. Yeah. To me, that's a key question. How much 
of this interest came after the Blue Jays signed Kevin Gosman. Because, like, obviously they're not signing Corey Seager. He's already signed with the Rangers. But how much money do they have left to play with this offseason? I think that's a key takeaway that we can take from this. If we assume that a lot of these negotiations and a lot of this interest was happening after the Blue Jays signed Kevin Gosman, we can say the Blue Jays still have a lot of money to spend. They're still very interested in improving on the infield, which, I mean, we know that. But it's a question of how much budget they have left to spend. And that would indicate that the Blue Jays are willing to spend a lot more this offseason. So that's the biggest takeaway for me from this. Um, Jacob, you mentioned the position thing, how he doesn't totally fit with the Blue Jays. I think Corey Seager, he's not the strongest defensively at shortstop. And there was actually talks of him moving to either second or third base, most likely third base, before he signed with the Rangers. And with the Rangers, it appears like he's going to be starting at shortstop. And as we've talked about, Marcus Sumian at second base. If he had signed with the Blue Jays, I don't think Bo Bichette would have been moving. I think Corey Seager would have been moving to third base. So that's not really a concern for me. Um, what does concern me with this contract and why I guess I'm happy the Blue Jays didn't sign him is the player is a perfect fit for the Blue Jays. The contract is not. Um, and you guys both talked about this, but the contract is very large and it's what you're going to have to pay if you want to get one of these guys like Carlos Correa. If Corey Seager commands $325 million, Carlos Correa, who has like 15 plus more career war than Corey Seager, I'm scared to see what type of contract he's going to get. It's minimum 350, probably more. Um, the market demands that you pay this amount of money. So I'm not knocking the Rangers for giving him that. I'm just saying that's not the type of deal that I think the Blue Jays are going to be involved with, at least at this stage of their competitiveness. Maybe a few years down the road, you know, we have that quote from Mark Spear a couple years ago when he said this market can be an albatross or um, a behemoth is a word that he used, behemoth. Um, if we get to that point a couple years down the road where the Blue Jays market becomes something like the Dodgers or the Yankees where they can spend absurd amount of money and not have to worry about the ramifications because they always have more money to pour in. If it gets to that point, Sure, you can give this contract and not worry about the ramifications. But right now, knowing the considerations, knowing the kind of guardrails that we have on the Blue Jays, despite all the success they've had, the guardrails on their budget, I don't think this was the right direction to go. So I guess the question now is what next? Bryson, you mentioned Trevor Story, you mentioned Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa, I think, is out of the price range of the Blue Jays. I think we can all acknowledge that. He's going to command, like I said, $350, $400 million plus. It's going to be a crazy payload for him. I think Trevor Story is within the range of the Blue Jays. And that does open the door of who's playing shortstop. I don't think there's been the same consideration of Trevor Story moving positions as there was for Corey Seager. So maybe that's a complication with, with signing Trevor Story, but he's going to come at cheaper. He's potentially a good fit for the Blue Jays on the left side of the infield. That's one name I would be keeping our eyes on. And then, of course, there's a name that we always bring up, but it's Jose Ramirez. And then there's a name that we're going to talk about later in this podcast that I don't want to talk about now because it's not totally in the conversation of infielders on the left side of the infield. But Freddie Freeman is another guy that is potentially in that conversation. Not this conversation. He's not the exact type, exact same type of player, but... Um, out of those guys or other guys that you guys have your eyes on, um, who do you think the Blue Jays should target? What's the next step for them now that Corey Seager's off the market, given that they had interest in Corey Seager? Well, I, I, I we've heard about Jose Ramirez for quite a while now. I mean, we've been talking about him, I think, at least since last year, at least last offseason. So I think definitely keep tabs on him. 
And one of the first things I want to mention is it really sucks that there's a lockout right now because we can talk about this and we can debate this, but it, it's like nothing's going to happen for at least a couple weeks to a couple months. And I guess it gives us a lot of time to brainstorm, but I think you got to look at Jose Ramirez, pretty much everybody. Like, look, look what happened last year. I don't think a single person actually thought George Springer would be a Blue Jay. It was just a, eh, they're interested in him. We'll see where this goes. And then at midnight, I think it, we all, uh, on a fine January day or whatever it was, we were all losing our minds because all these tweets were just blowing through our phones. But point is, is I, I don't think that, with the exception of probably Carlos Correa, I don't think anybody's out of the question. How many of them do I think are realistic? I have no idea. That, that I think, is a bit of a grain of salt and... We'll just have to see where debates go. But I think you got to look at Jose Ramirez. you got to look at Freeman, and I know we'll get to that. But to me, that's really who you're looking at. And I, th- I think it was in the last episode where we d- we had a bit, bit of a debate about who fits in the infield if nobody is brought in. I said I was semi-comfortable with Biggio and Espinal. You guys said, no, you want somebody. I'm going to bet that they do go out and get at least one guy. We'll see who it is, you know, whether it's third or second, and then you just maneuver the other two and platoon them at the other position. But I do think you will see something. Not really sure what it is. I'm thinking, the thing is, you also got to remember with Ramirez is that is a trade, whereas with a lot of the other guys, it's not. You just sign him in free agency. So you're going to have to see. Do the Blue Jays want to give up money? Do they want to give up player prospect assets? Things like that. So that's really the big thing is, are their hands tied in terms of the money that they can give out now in terms of just free agents this year, but also in the future, or are they looking to be a little creative? And if you remember, I think it was Bob Nightingale or maybe Shai Davidi. There was a bunch of tweets last year saying how basically after the Springer deal, when we were all mad that the Blue Jays didn't go out and sign a starter, one of the tweets that I remember was and this was a topic was that they didn't have enough money to spend or they were kind of at their budget for that off season. That's something we're gonna have to consider. Is now that you've got given uh, Jose Brios twenty million a season, which isn't a crazy amount, but that's still twenty million a season, and that's still a uh, hundred and twenty or whatever added on to what he was guaranteed. You've now given Kevin Gosman twenty plus million. Are they eventually going to get past or, or go beyond what they're able to spend? And if they are, are you going to look at a trade? So I think I'm going to put it maybe somebody like Jose Ramirez is the most likely just considering we the fact that we've heard so much about him. But I honestly, at, at this point, up or until the teams can actually talk or, or when once they start talking, I think it's it's anybody's game, really. And whoever gets to the guys first and who can present the the most competitive offer and really say, look, you can come here and win and we'll have to see who that guy is. But it definitely, it's going to be a middle infielder or or it's going to be an infielder. At least they're not going to go out and get an outfielder. They're not going to go out and get a starter relievers. I mean, that happens every year, but point is, is it's going to be an infielder. It just depends to me. Are they willing to give up more cash or are they going to have to kind of be at their wits end with that? And, go into the the player capital because you know obviously they do have still some good prospects but you know are they able to or are they willing to kind of get to use them the same way they really did with austin martin and kind of gamble on on guys like that one second i 
before you chime in, Bryson. Jacob, you mentioned that the Blue Jays aren't going to sign a starter. I disagree with that. I think they're still very much in the market. Not not top-of-the-line starter, obviously, but someone like you say Kikuchi. We've heard they've been involved with him. Maybe even someone like Carlos Rodon could be in that conversation who maybe comes at a little bit of a discount because of injury history. Um, totally off topic, but I think the Blue Jays will sign a starter. Sorry, that's what I did mean. I didn't mean a, a top-of-the-line starter. There might be some type of under-the-radar type deal, but I yeah, I think they're, prob- they're, they're guaranteed. I think they're done with the top-of-the-line guys. And also, quickly, they, they're going to run out of rotation room if they do that. So, yeah, that, it's it'll be more minor rotation deals. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, another pitcher is going to happen. And uh, there were so many names that we discussed beforehand in previous episodes. Kikuchi is obviously a name, and there's so many other ones. But yeah, the the priority is definitely getting that infielder. And there there's still many names out there that I think fit the Blue Jays very well. And of course, the one guy that we haven't mentioned yet, just in case uh, anybody forgot, was Chris Bryant. He was still somebody that is unsigned, and it is somebody that passed the um, or once the lockout ends, maybe the Jays pivot to him right away again. I'm not sure, but uh, that is definitely. A name there was um yeah so Chris Bryan is one of the names and of course uh, Trevor Story I just we we knew about this last year at the trade deadline it kind of came out of nowhere on that last day that the Jays suddenly kind of emerged as something for Trevor Story and you know for somebody who had you know he didn't have a great year uh Trevor Story last year so you do wonder is he going to take a shorter term deal is it going to be one two years and try and bet on himself again maybe take a route kind of like what Marcus Simeon did even though Trevor Story had a good year I guess still overall last year just wasn't as good as what we've seen from him before so for his I guess standards. It was it was a down year. He finished with an OPS just over 800 and uh, 24 home runs and 75 RBIs. So we've seen much better from Trevor Story. He's somebody that is going to be um, available right off the top too. Chris Bryant and of course Freddie Freeman, who we're going to talk about later on, is somebody. And um, you know, I also mentioned Kyle Seager at the beginning. I think that's something that if nothing goes well or as planned for the Jays in terms of other Plan A, Plan B then that's somebody that they could easily kind of pivot to uh, near the end of the offseason and maybe pursue him for somebody at third base who has a lot of experience and I think who'd be good in the clubhouse for the uh, the young guys as well. So that's definitely interesting to see for that. There's still relievers out there too, but you know the way it is with relievers. Um, you, you know, there's so many out there, and I, I think that there is going to be another reliever signing as well. I've seen a few things throughout the the off season so far, but I it's just nothing I guess as legitimate or it's just something that hasn't gotten a lot of traction. But since we're in a lockout, I guess I'll ask you guys. I don't know if you guys have or I don't know how you feel about this either. Maybe somebody in mind and Mark. We know that we we had this discussion at the end of the year that you think the Jays should go out and get more like a closer type pitcher, and that somebody who is available out there is Kenley Jansen. So I do wonder are the Jays in for him or in on him. Uh, or is there just some traction there? But it, it's something that I've, or we kind of seen a little bit. But again, it hasn't been too much where it's gotten us to have a full-on discussion about him. So I think there's good relievers out there for sure that the Jays will definitely pivot to as well. But it just feels like once the CBA is signed and everything's back in open season, 
an infielder is going to be right away. That is what the Jays are pivoting to right away. I mean, we discussed this. They lost Marcus Simeon. They need to fill in for that. They need to fill um, his position, and they are not not necessarily his position, but his value within the infield, and that's why or his impact as well that he brought to the lineup. So that is a must for the Jays, and uh, there's a lot of routes they can still go um, even after the lockout ends. So it, it it's not like they're out of options, and it relates to somebody missing out on somebody like Corey Seager again. One of the reasons why they were probably or most likely unwilling to offer that deal is because of all the other names that will be available after, um, you know, in the near future. It's not like Corey Seager was the last available option out there and it would have ruined the Jays offseason if they didn't, you know, cash in on him. So the Jays are sitting pretty well here. And not only are free agents available, but there's trades again. I think somebody else I mentioned, other than Jose Ramirez, was Kettle Marte. I think that's something that you may consider as well. Again, not a lot of traction there as of now, but the trade market in particular kind of hit a complete freeze because a lot of people knew until there's the new CBA, there's not going to be a lot of trades and we didn't see any trades. It was just the free agents. So I do think there's going to be some sort of trade uh, market or trade value for people after this is over too. So it just feels like there's going to be a, there was a rush before the CBA ended. And when, once it opens again, we're going to get into another rush because depending on how long this goes, we could be very close to spring training and players and teams are going to want to get something done as soon as possible. So that's why as much as we're in, you know, the dog days, I should say of this lockout, because, and it's really, it's only been 12 days, which is even more sad. So that's the problem that I think I have. We, we all have to get used to as baseball fans, but you know, once this ends, it's going to be right. It's going to go right back to the way it was right when it ended. So that's why I'm very excited and intrigued of what still is to bring for the Jays and for the, uh, the other MLB free agents out there, but there's so many names and so many options that they can still pursue. So as much as they didn't get something done with an infielder prior to the CBA expiring, I still think it wasn't a massive loss for them or it wasn't something that they're going to lose sleep over. It was more of something that they would have rather have gotten done. However, they still have a lot of options and they're still sitting in a pretty good position because it's not like the guys they missed out on signed anyway. So there's going to be lots of people available, lots of routes they're going to take. And those are just one out of many names that we mentioned in terms of Kyle Seeger, uh, Trevor Story, Freddie Freeman, who we're going to have a discussion about later on. And uh, somebody like Chris Bryant, who we knew the Jays were also a finalist for, according to John Morosi. Take it with a grain of salt, obviously, though, as much as we all love him. So we'll see what happens with that. But uh, lots of names out there. I'm sure there's going to be names, too, that we haven't even mentioned yet that the Jays can kind of come out of the blue with or maybe change their opinion over this lengthy lockout that they may decide to change their strategy and go elsewhere once uh, this uh, the lockout ends. So it's going to be interesting and something that we've never really seen before, went through before in a long time. Yeah, that's one of the positives is the fact that this is one of the, you know, deepest shortstop middle infield markets in recent memory with all these guys that we've rattled off. So, I mean, we know and, and um, you know, just listening and hearing people around the industry and journalists talk um, like the Blue Jays are they're not a cheap team. They are willing to spend money, but what they aren't is impulsive. Like they're not a team that's going to break away from whatever their strategy entering this offseason was and sign a guy like Corey Seager because they're panicking and worried about not getting anyone. They are going to stick to their plan um, to the letter and adapt accordingly as they need to, but they're not going to abandon that plan. So we know that's who the Blue Jays are in their approach to an offseason, and they were not going to splurge on someone like Corey Seager like that. But um, like we mentioned, we keep bringing up Freddie Freeman, so let's have that conversation now. We already talked about him. But it appears as if there is a little bit more to the 
I don't know if you want to call it a rumor, to the rumblings, to the smoke than we originally thought with Freddie Freeman because um, Jeff Passan, who we all know and love and trust as compared to some other reporters as we've talked about on this podcast, um, he was on Tim and Friends and he said, quote, I don't know if this is something that just percolates around because it makes sense or because it's a big name, but there's a lot of Freeman to Toronto smoke. There's some fire there. So he seems to be intimating that the Blue Jays are involved in contract negotiations with Freeman. Who knows how involved, but they're involved to some extent. And we it it makes sense and it doesn't make sense at the same time. It's a confusing deal. Um, we talked about this last time we talked. Um, do you guys have any updated feelings about Freeman? Because I still would be over the moon if this happened as well as the most confused I've ever been in my life. So... I don't know how you guys feel, but my thoughts really haven't changed since the last time I talked. I'm trying to remember. I, I'm i pretty sure, like, obviously we all want Freddie Freeman to be a Blue Jay. He's a fantastic player. I think it's more likely than I did previously, and I, I'm pretty sure I was very cautiously optimistic and probably a bit resentful or, or repulsive to the idea, just considering that you have a second-place MVP-type player at first base in Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I think it's more likely that he moves to third base now. And I'm not one for hot takes after falling for probably seven dozen fake rumors on Twitter during the the last few days of the law or before the lockout. But I'm willing to bet that Freeman signs within the first week with the Blue Jays. It's going to cost them a lot of money. It's going to cost them term. Hear me out. Wow. There were I, I think, look, I think it could happen. So, wow. Well, well, okay, now you're backtracking. Are you, are you predicting no. Freeman to the Blue Jays? Partially. Yes, I am. Oh, I'm going to be on, a little partially. bit. I, no, you know what? Fine. I, I predict it. I, within the first week, Whoa. seven days, whenever the CBA is, is announced, seven days from now, or within seven days from then, Freddie Freeman will be a Blue Jay. Wow. I'm just saying. There okay. were. I'm assuming there were talks, and we said, as Jeff Passan said, there were talks. So it's not as if going into the spring tra- or going into off season part two that there's going to be nothing previously discussed. There's obviously been stuff discussed, and so I think that Freeman's probably close to finding his contract or close to figuring out where he wants to go. It will be tough because we heard that the Braves are pretty much making sure the other teams have to pry him. And I'm pretty sure I can directly quote that from somebody that the teams are going to have to literally pry him from the Braves organization. I think that Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins are going to probably do something. And I'm I'm the one that said that they don't need to go and spend $300 million on on Corey Seager. I'm just saying, maybe 180 over five six years maybe six years uh, over five is a little too much but i'm just saying it could happen i think it is very likely that could just be a very impulsive hope of me but i'm just saying like if jeff passon said it and it wasn't one of the fake accounts because it was the actual guy on tim and friends then i think that there's there's some legitimacy to that and it's i'm thinking you know what like Maybe I'm just rambling and maybe nothing happens. Maybe he signs with the Braves six hours into the the CBA being signed. But I think that it is likely that he comes to the Toronto Blue Jays. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. puts in the work over the last two years, goes back into third base. 
I'm not going to predict what he does there because God knows what's going to happen there, or at least my predictions are a mess. But I'm thinking that the Blue Jays are going to go, they're going to try and make an impactful decision, make a move that makes them probably the AL East favorites. And I'm going to predict that 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 move is acquiring Freddie Freeman. There's a lot. uh, Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) Now, here's the other thing, because... I'm not going to, well, first of all, I'm not going to come out and predict that he will be coming <laughs> to the Blue Jays. However, Mark, I know you asked the question was, have things changed for like, oh, in terms of our opinion? And I'm not going to say they have significantly, but I think a part of me is starting to warm up to the idea a little bit more. But of course, it means a massive changes to the lineup because of course we know if he comes here, you are moving Vladimir Guerrero Jr. again. However, if you get Freddie Freeman, he's that left-handed bat that everyone's been looking for, and um, he's Canadian. We everyone knows that, or a dual citizen. So, it just it feels like there's more to this than I think we're, you know, of how we talk or what we spoke about the last time. And I think the fact that Jeff Passan came out and said this as well, I think it kind of gives us that sign that maybe we should look into this a little bit more uh, than what we thought, and that's why it gets me wondering you know how legit is this and is this really that realistic that uh freddie freeman i guess you know if given the opportunity would leave atlanta like that i just it's hard for me to see that but of course if they're not gonna um pay up or you know try and attempt to resign freddie freeman and pay a valuable price for him then of course it's going to be um there's going to be a really realistic chance that he does end up leaving atlanta and of course we know we spoke about this too the yankees are a team that we knew of that were involved in the fact that the jays met with Freddie Freeman's representatives before the, the lockout is definitely something to look out for. And that's what that was reported, I think, uh, yesterday on December 11th, um, that they met with his actual representatives before the lockout or before the CBA expired. So there's something there, yes. It's just that, of course, I'm not totally in favor of moving Guerrero twice, again, in the span of a couple of years. But if they did have to do it in order to fit Freddie Freeman in the lineup, because... Other than that, in terms of the lineup, they can fit him in the lineup. Positional-wise, though, it's going to take some altering and it's going to take some tweaking. So that's why I'm starting to warm up to it a little bit more. However, I'm still kind of skeptical, and I still don't... It Just for me, it doesn't seem like it's as likely that he does come here. However, I don't want to com- completely come out and predict that because if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I don't want to you know, be wrong for that. But, I mean, Jacob, on the other hand, is predicting he's coming here. So, you know, I think there is significant stuff here. I just... I just don't know. I mean, I'm just we all we all want Freddie Freeman, of course, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr. moved again, and now you might have to move him again. So that's why it's just there's a lot here. That's it, and it's really confusing. And until we know more after the lockout, I think it's kind of impossible to give a firm answer on the pros and, and other than just stating the pros and cons of having Freddie Freeman and not having or having Freddie Freeman to begin with. So that's why. Uh, but Jacob predicting the Jay signing him within the first week, <laughs> that is something that I was not expecting to, to hear tonight. So Mark, I know you had a lot of compressing to do over there, taking everything in. So I'll let you uh, respond to Jacob and respond to me. If you haven't uh, noticed, my, my thoughts have changed on the deal or, or the, the potential of a deal. Apparently. I figured, yeah. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, like, now I'm taking it seriously. Um, when we had that report from that, what was it? Was it an agent or a reporter? Um, I don't know. But the, the mention on Instagram with the graphic of Freddie Freeman and the Canadian flag and a whole bunch of flames and stuff. Like, 
I didn't take that seriously. Like we talked about it. We talked about how it was a potential, how it made sense, how it didn't make sense. I didn't take it seriously. But now that we have Jeff Passan saying there is some fire there, there is some truth to this, I, I'm taking it seriously. I, I still don't know the the uh, the actual possibility of it happening, but it it's happening. Like there is some interest there. There's some mutual interest from both sides, and it does to some extent make sense. You got a left-handed bat, a left-handed power bat who's going to make a big impact on your team. Um, he doesn't come at the high cost to some of these other free agents. We were talking about the inhibitions of signing um, someone like Corey Seager, how much it would uh, burden the Blue Jays. Freddie Freeman is probably not going to command that much. He um, uh, was predicted by MLB trade rumors entering the offseason to sign for a six-year, $180 million deal, which is exactly what you were saying, Jacob. Um, who knows whether that's gone up or down, given the way the market has reacted, and who knows what the CBA will be. It's kind of unpredictable, but... Um, it's within the price range of the Blue Jays. It's a George Springer type deal. It's a Kevin Gosman type deal. It's not totally out of the question, but I'm still sticking with what I said last time we talked. I just don't see it happening. I'm taking the rumors seriously, but I just don't think it makes sense for the Blue Jays. And again, I would be over the moon if it happened. It is a dream come true. It's it. If you were drawing up this situation in a simulation, if you were playing out of the park baseball and you were designing your dream team, I would make the Blue Jays with Freddie Freeman. He's one of my favorite players. It's just does not make sense for the Blue Jays. So I can't wrap my head around the Blue Jays consciously going into this and spending all that money for someone who isn't perfect fit for the team. I see. The thing is, is, I think that Guerrero is more eager to move to third base for himself, first of all, because when he was initially moved, I think he he said he was disappointed. I know it's a couple of years past that, and but there was some interest in going back. Add Freddie Freeman to the mix and saying, hey, you're going to play at third base and we're going to bring an all-star World Series champion first baseman on this team. I think that it's very likely it just or it's it's something that he would want to have happen and so it's it's at this point it's just a matter of do Mark Shapiro Ross Atkins think that this is the right move and is that their focus so well really as I said earlier it sucks that we now have to wait months to see if any of our predictions and thoughts are correct but we'll have to see do they prioritize these guys that they might have unfinished business with or you know how's the part two of the offseason gonna go but I think that if you're Vladimir Guerrero Jr and you can move to third base, kind of go back to that position where you hope to play at in a much more athletic sense and and, and body shape and everything, and you're, he's clearly much more of an athlete at this point in his, in his career. With the addition of one of the better first basemen in baseball who just won a World Series, I think that it's uh, something that should be looked, uh, looked into a little bit more, maybe keep some tabs on that. All right, well, we'll be keeping tabs on it throughout the off seasons. I'm sure if we hear anything else about it, we will keep you guys posted, but um, we got about 15 minutes left. So we're going to talk quickly about Pete Walker and the New York Mets. We know it's not happening now. The Mets have finalized their um, managerial search down to three guys. Does not include Pete Walker. There wasn't even really a firm rumor saying that Pete Walker is drawing interest from the Mets for their manager job. It was just not to bring up the reporters again, but John Morosi tweeted it as 
Pete Walker could make sense for the Mets. So we don't even know if it was a real consideration. But what we do know, and what's kind of the conventional thinking around Pete Walker, is that A, he would like to manage at some point, and B, he could get a managing job somewhere. Obviously not going to be New York. I feel like the Mets are not a good place for a first-time manager to go. But those two facts are what we know, or at least what we think to be true. Um, We don't want to lose Pete Walker. The Blue Jays don't want to lose Pete Walker. He has been part of the team for so, so long and is such a vital part of their coaching staff. Um, But then again, if you lose him, you lose him. Um, you can't really control where he goes outside of promoting him to manager of the Blue Jays or um, giving him an insane salary increase. So I don't know how much there is to talk about here. He could be a manager of a team. He's not right now. Looks like he's going to be pitching coach of the Blue Jays next year. Just kind of a fun what if to think about. Well, it's also it shows just how much the rest of the league is starting to recognize Pete Walker. And really, I mean, we all talk about it, how he's one of the, I guess, underrated or unsung heroes of this team. Look what he did to with Robbie Ray. I know that was a big selling point that he, uh, m- maybe it's not 100% on on Pete Walker for Robbie Ray's turnaround, but you got to think, you turn this guy around, you turn X number of players around since you've been uh, really with the Blue Jays. It's something you got to consider. And I- I'm pretty sure we've mentioned this, or maybe we haven't, but I remember, I think it was Tim and Friends, d- discussing how... After the season, the whole fallout of what's next, what goes on, there's a lot of debate about whether Montoyo should be fired because he's too soft or whatever. He doesn't, you know, yell kind of like he doesn't do what John Gibbons used to do, and even though he shouldn't have done it, come back on the field after he was ejected. But he clearly defended the players and did these things. And one of the uh, things I'm pretty sure this was in an interview with Ross Atkins that he mentioned, or at least it was asked of him, is Pete Walker kind of your the kind of I don't want to use the word bad cop but almost the guy that is willing to stand up and scream at the umpires when they're not doing what you want to do for your players and honestly I think that it Pete Walker is to some extent that guy he he obviously we've seen him get ejected because the umpires still don't know what a strike is in 2021 but he's the like he the, the, my point is is Pete Walker not only is he a, a good manager but he's or a good pitching coach but he also kind of fits the manager position, just considering the type of person he is. And I think the league is starting to recognize it. Not a ton that we can kind of derive of it as of right now, or maybe into the 2022 season, but is something, again, that we should kind of consider and look into. Because if you're Pete Walker, yeah, you like the Blue Jays. Yeah, you've been with them for a while. But if there is another option for you, it's you got to think that he would at least consider that. And Maybe that option is with the Blue Jays. I'm not going to go and predict anything crazy with that. But I'm just saying, he his name around baseball is, I think, really starting to to get the respect it deserves. And hopefully he can you know, continue his career because he's been a great guy to watch. And I think that it, it definitely could be interesting, especially now that this is one of potentially many teams that is going to look into him and pursue him. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that this actually hasn't happened as much yet. I'm I'm surprised that there hasn't been a lot of consideration for him, I guess, in any sort of for any sort of manager role. But of course, the the red flag if you're somebody who is looking at Pete Walker for a manager is that he's never actually managed before. So that's obviously the problem that he doesn't have the experience there. But you know, once we heard about this at first, uh, 
I'm not gonna. I got. I got nervous. I got a little bit nervous, and I think that comes with all Blue Jays fans that we are very protective of Pete Walker, and um, you know, just as far as we're concerned, he is here for as long as he can be here, and it just shows to how important how you know much he's recognized within the organization is he was pretty much the lone guy that stuck around for Charlie Montoyo's new regime of um, the coaching staff and you don't see that a lot you see kind of new people taking over and having a role new roles to everyone but Pete Walker was somebody who stayed and is somebody who has continued to be recognized as one of one of the best pitching coaches in the entire game so a little bit of a scare there however I didn't look too much into it as time went on because we knew from the start that somebody like Buck Showalter is um, the leading candidate to be the Mets manager. I think it's him, and there's somebody else um, who else is sorry, somebody else who is a finalist for that job. But it, in all signs point that it it looks like it will be Buck Showalter, and I think that's somebody who Max Scherzer's also kind of um, advocated for the Mets to go after, from what I remember seeing. So it seems like Buck Showalter is going to get that job. But the fact that Pete Walker's name was like floating around, he was never a finalist, will make that very clear. But it just, to me, it's surprising that he hasn't gotten as more recognition for any sort of managerial roles yet or have any kind of interviews yet. I'm surprised that hasn't come yet, but I feel like as time goes on and he gets to be more recognized and recognized, I think that there is a chance that some point in the future, I'm not guaranteeing it, but some point in the future, he is going to be those names considered among you know, man- managers throughout the game. And if that happens, the Jays need to be prepared for that. But for the meantime, for the short term, and hopefully for the long term, they don't have to deal with that yet. But the fact that his name was brought up definitely caught a little bit of a surprise to me. But at the same time, as time went on, we never really thought of it because even before that report came out, that there was the Scherzer report of what I just mentioned, how he wanted Buck Showalter to be the manager, recommended him. So it feels like that was kind of already determined in some sort of way. But yeah, for Pete Walker, I just crazy I mean I just didn't wasn't kind of shocked by it a little bit and sigh of relief now that we know it won't be him and the three finalists are Joe Espada, Buck Showalter and Matt Quatero, Quatero, something like that so he is also a finalist there so we will see what happens with that and uh, the Mets will be getting a new manager it won't be Pete Walker Pete Walker will be back and he will make sure Kevin Gosman is on fire next year as well as the other four members in the rotation who will be there next year. And not to throw gasoline on the fire, but there is still, outside of the Mets, another open managing position for the Oakland Athletics. So maybe that's more of a fit for someone like Pete Walker. Who knows? Um, yeah, I, I I, think this rumor kind of opened. If Again, we're calling it a rumor. I don't think it's a rumor. It's speculation from John Morosi meant to drive up interest and likes and Anyways, I have low opinions of John Morosi, if you can't tell. But, um, yeah, I think it kind of opened her eyes to where Pete Walker could end up in the next couple of years and what his aspirations are. Because I think as Blue Jay fans, we're very grateful and obviously happy to have him as a Blue Jays pitching coach. But we don't think of him as anything besides the Blue Jays pitching coach. But obviously, because of the success he's had here, he might want to move elsewhere. So, I don't know. I think it opened a couple, couple eyes, a couple doors to what Pete Walker could end up doing, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's a rumor. I think it's just speculation. Um, anyways, the last thing we'll talk about, I'll touch on, we heard that the, uh, I don't think we mentioned this last episode, um, but it was the day that we recorded, I think Randall Grishik um, was apparently where the Blue Jays were offered a um, trade proposal from the Milwaukee Brewers. It was one for one, I believe, Jackie Bradley Jr. with Randall Grishik, Blue Jays, 
I assume rejected it or maybe the Brewers with um, withdrew it because they got a better offer from the Red Sox. But Jackie Bradley Jr. being traded to the Red Sox in turn in uh, exchange for Hunter Renfro and a couple of prospects, I believe. So there was that that broke. Not much to talk about there. Good thing the Blue Jays didn't do it because, I don't know, Jackie Bradley is not that great of a player. He doesn't have good offensive numbers. As much as we can complain about Randall Grishik all we don't want, Jackie Bradley Jr. is next level bad, or at least he was last year. Um, and then the other thing we want to talk about is um, the lockout. I, well, we've mentioned it. We haven't really talked about it, though. Um, we don't know much of anything. Like, nothing has happened since December 1st. The owners locked out the players, and that was that. We saw, as Bryson alluded to earlier, all the names and faces of players were taken off of MLB's website and MLB affiliate websites like BlueJays.com. Um, besides that, <laughs> and now for those who can't watch the, uh, the video, <laughs> both Jacob and Bryson have disappeared. Um, but besides that, there hasn't really been a, a sizable impact from this lockout besides everything just shutting down. We haven't really heard anything um, in terms of rumors, in terms of predictions. What I want to end this podcast off with right now is predictions from all of us on when the lockout will end. So you guys can pull up the spring training dates. You can pull up opening day. Um, when do you guys think the lockout will officially end? That we get the announcement and we get the, the new CBA signed between the players and the owners. I can put my prediction in first. I'm going to go February 12th. Um, that might be a little bit late by some considerations. That just around when pitchers and catchers are starting to report to spring training. But it makes sure that everything is done in time for opening day. And I really, at the impasse we're at right now, the conflict that we have between the owners and players, I really don't see anything happening before the absolute deadline to get it done without avoiding games. Because I really don't see these two sides coming together, making a deal without that absolute deadline. And I think February, mid-February is kind of that final, final call for these two sides to make a deal. So February 12th is where I'm putting that. Where do you guys have it? I'm going to put it a little bit before you. See, what you, what you were saying, I, I definitely do agree with. I don't think that this is going to happen or any type of agreement is going to be made until you pretty much have to without negatively impacting the season. And you might, people listening might be saying, well, the season doesn't start until late March, early April. But sp And spring training is, you know, the month or so before that. But pitchers and catchers report for the first two weeks and then the rest of the players show up. You're not going to want to delay those guys, especially if you're one of those pitchers that just signed a five-year contract. You know, you're going to want to see this new spring training facility. You're going to want to get used to your new team. And also, you're going to want to either get down to Florida or Arizona, maybe even early. So the way I see it, I'm going to put it at February. You said 12th. I'm going to say February 5th. Give the players a little bit more breathing room, like a week or so before they realize what the plan is. And also we, what we need to remember is there are a lot of guys that have either not signed or a lot of unfinished business as we've just spent the last hour rambling about. So I think you give it a, I mean, a week's a week or two weeks is really not even that much time to debate contracts and, and make out trades and who knows what the heck's going to go on. But I say February 5th, you give it a couple weeks or a week before pitchers and catchers report pray to God that the season plays out as normal and then that's it. So I'm going to say just a week or so before what you're saying at February 5th. 
the very first uh, pitchers and catchers report date that we know of or that is set in stone is for February 15th, and that's the San Francisco Giants. And then, of course, a couple days after, that's when it happens for everybody else. And then a few days after that, that is when the first full workout occurs. And then a week after is when there's the position players. And then a week after that is when games start. So I will be a little bit more optimistic than both of you. I will say February 1st. I will give it two weeks uh, because, of course, once that date hits, there's still going to be free agency again. And I do think within a week, I mean, it's less than ideal, I think, to start it that late because there's going to be um, lots of stuff happening throughout camp, if that's the case, if things happen right before pitchers and catchers report. However, I do think it's likely that it happens that way, but I will be more optimistic and say that it'll happen right at the beginning of February. And I think that would be ideal for both sides that if they got a deal done late, um, they could give a couple more weeks of a window for free agency and have teams finish off their offseason in a way to prepare for 2022. And I think that, um, you know, regardless of what happens with these with this lockout, I think it's going to go down to one of these, you know, one of the last possible dates that it can happen. In, and that's going to be anywhere from February to pitchers and catchers reports. So unfortunately, you know, it's sad that we're all predicting February. <laughs> I mean, I think every baseball fan is, but it just shows that, Ever since this lockout did start 12 days ago, like there's been absolutely nothing. I know we knew the two sides were meeting right pretty much at the deadline day on December 1st. I think one meeting lasted like not even half hours. Some lasted about five to ten minutes. Yeah, I think that's it was not seven ideal. minutes was the length yeah. of the final meeting. That's not ideal. It, it really isn't. And the other thing, too, is just we haven't heard a lot. Like I remember last year throughout or when COVID happened and then the team was pretty much negotiating on how to come back, or I should say the leagues and the players, we were getting something new every day. I mean, we were getting players want this, the owners want 60 games, the players want 80 games, the players want pro-rated. Like, we were getting things every single day. But, you know, for this, we haven't really gotten much. We know that there was something about a salary floor or a luxury floor for teams to kind of have a base on to try and encourage um, competing. And we knew that there was expanded playoffs. Jacob, I know I mentioned it for you. There you go. We knew that. And um, other than that, though, like it's just been basically, obviously there's a difference with money, but we just haven't heard much compared to what we did last year throughout the, uh, the COVID shutdown. So I don't know if that just means that we're way too early in the process of this and we're going to have a lot more of a, kind of a dog day effect until maybe the new year hits and then maybe things will start to ramp up. But I don't believe the sides have met since, unless you can correct me if I'm wrong, since the actual lockout date. So the only thing we've seen are the players being removed from the websites and a few other things. So, you know, I I think that February is unfortunately the reality here and it sucks because you want this to get done as soon as possible so the off seasons can resume. But it's just that we we saw this coming in 2020. We had the conversation that this is going to have to be, or this will be revisited after the 2021 season. We kind of put things on hold because we wanted to actually look forward to talking and watching baseball. But we knew at the back of our heads that this was something that was going to eventually come back. And it did, unfortunately. And hopefully once this is done, um, we don't have many more of these in the future because it really does suck. And the worst thing that could possibly happen in terms of a doomsday is if this come, uh, cuts into the season. And that's what you don't want. There's too much at stake to lose for both sides here. And I think at the end of the day, once they have to make that agreement, they will. And they will compromise on the the sort of things that both sides are fighting for. But it's just a bad look. I I, I think it, it still remains one. I mean, I, I know last year especially was a really horrible look from both sides as well. And in this case too, it, just, it's, it sucks that you have to lock out 
or completely freeze an entire offseason. And, uh, you know, you understand that you want a new CBA because technically there could be a season without a CBA, but that opens up the possibility of a player strike. And we've seen that before midway through a season. We've seen a World Series canceled in the past. So you want to make sure something gets done between both sides to prevent the, that from happening. But this cannot cut into actual playing dates or playing time in terms of the actual in-season calendar. And I think that everyone knows that. And it's just, it's not a good look for the sport. And it's something that uh, neither side can afford really that for that to happen at the end of the day. So eventually people will, they will bear down and make an agreement. I don't know when, but we are all hoping it, it will be before February. But I think we all know it will be right before that pitchers and catches report date, unfortunately. We will wait and see, as with everything. And I'm sure there's, like, we haven't heard anything, um, but I'm sure there is stuff going on behind the scenes, or at least I hope there is. I hope it's not a pure communication freeze between the league and the Players Association, because that would be worst-case scenario. But, yeah, there's not a lot happening right now. There's not a lot of progress that we're hearing of. But we will leave this episode there. Um, We will catch you next week, hopefully, with something to talk about we will see if we don't we'll find some way to make up the time but until then you can support our podcast on patreon that's patreon.com slash section 138 pod you can follow us on instagram and twitter at section 138 pod if you watch our episodes on youtube you can listen to them if you listen to them you can watch them on youtube and witness all of the shenanigans that went down today with bryson and jacob turning the cameras off um and then lastly if you enjoy this podcast you can give it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which just helps support what we're doing here. All right, we'll be back next week with news or nothing to talk about, but we'll find out then. Bye.